Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Hebrews 12, 1-3. Well, there it is. Hidden figures. Uh, some of you have seen the movie. What a great movie. It uh, really is. Welcome, everybody, here in Arlington and uh, watching online and over at West Falls Church. Thank you so much. Thank you, uh, Steve, who read here, and Ann Dahl, who read over at West Falls Church. Appreciate that. Uh, this is a great movie, and it's a great passage of Scripture. Uh, this movie is about the American space program. Uh, and uh, right here in the great state of Virginia, actually, uh, down in uh, Hampton, Virginia, and just some incredible things. You know, uh, these uh, three women, Dorothy Vaughn, Katherine Johnson, Mary Jackson, incredibly, wouldn't it be great to be that smart? Uh, just incredibly smart uh, women. Dorothy was considered one of the most brilliant minds to actually ever work for NASA. And Katherine Johnson was a genius with numbers, and Mary Jackson was tremendously uh, talented as an engineer. But it's a story that really isn't about genius or talent. The story is really about grit. It's really about determination, and that's what makes the story so compelling. Uh, if you don't uh, know anything about this, it's, it is a true story that took place, as they said, 1961, that is there. Uh, and these uh, three ladies just, they just kept going. They just kept marching on no matter what they were facing. Broken down cars, as you saw on that clip. Actually, that clip there is, is really good. It's like the cliff notes of the entire movie. So if you haven't seen the movie, you pretty much got the, a lot of the gist of what it's all about. But broken down cars, they just kept going. Uh, they're denied access to really important meetings. They just, just keep persisting through. They're denied respect. They're denied promotions. They're denied bathrooms, right? And they just keep moving forward. Actually, one of the greatest lines in there is from President Kennedy's speech that he gave about choosing to go to the moon. The speech is all about determination. And at one point in the speech, he says, we don't choose to go to the moon because it's easy. We choose to go to the moon because it's hard. We choose to go to the moon because it's hard. It's about grit. It's about determination. The passage that was just read, famous passage in Hebrews chapter 12, is a lot about grit. It's about determination and perseverance. Here's the line, one of the lines from Hebrews chapter 12. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now, you know God is a sports fan. That is very obvious that God is a sports fan. He has to be watching ESPN much of the time because there are so many athletic illustrations all over the place in the Bible. We'll talk about two of them today, primarily this one in Hebrews chapter 12, running the race that is marked out for us. This passage here, everybody, if you like to fill in the blanks on the back of your blue bulletin, here is something really important, probably the most important thing you fill in today, right? This passage is calling for spiritual athletes. And the question is, is will you be one? This passage is calling for spiritual athletes. Will you be one? Are you running? How are you running your spiritual race? Are you running? Are you stopping? Are you sitting? Are you dropping? Are you quitting? What are you doing in this spiritual race? So, 
Uh, two days from now is Fourth of July. I hope you have uh, some wonderful plans for the Fourth of July, Independence Day. Very important day in the uh, life of this country, wouldn't you say? I would say so, even if you don't agree. I think it's an important day in the life of this, uh, life of this country. Is actually doing some study recently. Let's think about the impact of being a spiritual athlete. Let's talk about the impact of what it means to grow spiritually. In the early 18th century, there was what was called the Great Awakening. The Great Awakening. It was a time where there was tremendous spiritual growth. A lot of spiritual athletes came on the scene. People grew leaps and bounds spiritually. So I was doing some study recently. You know what it says about the American Revolution and the independence? That the Great Awakening, that spiritual growth, that people exercising spiritual muscle and growing laid the foundation for the revolution. Are you serious? That is how big of an impact that growing spiritually can have not only on your life, your family's life, your neighbor, your community, but what this said. This is a historical record I was reading. You know, here in Arlington County, uh, our high schools assign a sermon by Jonathan Edwards, who was a part, a key, if not the key figure in the entire great world, and they're assigned to read his sermon because it had such a dramatic effect on this country. So if you're wondering, ah, you know, spiritual, you know, I want to get, make money, I want to do my career, those are things important, but if I get this spiritual thing, okay, all right, that's all right, that's a good thing. What an impact being a spiritual athlete makes. So think about that on the 4th of July. It says, run the race that was marked out for you. The word race we get from the Greek, Greek word agony. Run the agony that God has marked out for you. Now, before that turns you off, let me just tell you this. Spiritual athlete, right? Agony. It simply means, the word agony simply means that this spiritual race that we're uh, running is challenging, right? It's difficult. It's grueling. It's a triathlon. It's a marathon. It's a hard workout. Sometimes we get that confused. They got it confused many times in the Bible, and we hear about that over and over again. But we sometimes get it confused today, and we somehow think that spiritual growth means spiritual ease, that people who are growing the most spiritually and flexing their muscles spiritually are the people who are just, oh, everything is just comfortable, it's easy. No, no, no. The Bible says this really important passage here says that it's challenging. And spiritual athletes rise to the occasion just like physical athletes day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, and they just keep going. Amos 6.1 speaks to this. What sorrow awaits you when you lounge in luxury in Jerusalem? What does that speak of? It's about people who are like, okay, we've made it. We're coasting spiritually. Because when you grow spiritually, everything should just be, you know, easy, easy. And what the writer here is saying is it's not. It's challenging. There are times of lounging, resting, and relaxing, but then you get back up, right? Of course, you can't just run, run, run all the time. You can't do that. You have to allow yourself to rest. The same thing happens spiritually, but you have to get back up and with determination continue to grow spiritually. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 11. That part was not read, but let me tell you a word that's in there. It says all of this is training. It's training. Like growing spiritually, it's like training. It's the same word that we get gymnasium from. 
So how do you grow spiritually? The same way you grow physically, the same way you grow with exercise. It happens the exact same way. You train yourself. You go to the gym. Exercise is tremendously... I saved this. This is from about a year ago. It's Time Magazine's piece on exercise. It says, the exercise cure. You know how important exercise is? Doctors, researchers, and scientists, even ancient philosophers, philosophers have long claimed that exercise works like a miracle drug, and now they have proof. So if you're a trainer out there, you're going to be happy in the next few moments here, okay? Here's what it says, quote, the most effective, potent way that we can improve quality of life and duration of life is exercise, In studies where blood is drawn immediately after people exercise, researchers found that many positive changes occur throughout the body during and right after the workout. Quote, it's unbelievable. If there were a drug that you could do for human health, everything that exercise can, it would be the most valuable pharmaceutical ever developed. I just thought I'd include that the week before they're supposed to start tearing the parking lot up out there and we have to walk a few extra steps to get in here. All right. Think with me, everybody, for a second. All right. Let's talk about physical exercise. When you exercise and you're trying to build yourself up and you run or you lift weights, right? If you're doing, if you're doing curls to get stronger, what happens? So if you're on the 10th curl, you should feel a lot weaker than when you were on your first curl, correct or incorrect? You should feel weaker. So in other words, everybody, for you to get stronger, you need to feel weaker. And what does it say in the Bible? When I am weak, then I stop. When I am weak, I stop praying. When I am weak, I stop reading the Bible. When I am weak, I stop going to church. No, 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 no. These are some of the things that when we feel weak, a lot of times we end up giving up. It's like, oh, well, this isn't working. This isn't working. Exactly. Exactly. Some of you are here this morning like, I'm just not feeling anymore. Great. Now we're getting somewhere. Doctors want to look at you and say they hope that you look disheveled, weak, and ready to fall on the floor because then you're going to have a good life. Right? Right? Is anybody into physical fitness in the room? Right? I mean, there are times in your lives where your hair's got to be in, you got to be sweating. Like if you walk into the gym all the time and you're like, hey, hey, you know, and you walk out of the gym the same way, you didn't do a thing. I don't know what you did, but you didn't do any exercise. Right? So when I am weak, then I am strong. So in other words, the way for me to get strong spiritually is I have to feel weak. Feeling weak is a part of that. 1 Corinthians 9, here's another wonderful Athletic illustration, the Apostle Paul. Do you not know that those who run a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may, what's that word? Win. Here's the first question. I got two questions from this passage. Are you running your spiritual race in a way to win the race? Are you just running? Are you running to win? When you train physically, to do something, a marathon, or just to get in shape, or look buff so everybody stares at you, right? Are you training, running to win? Win. Verse 25. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we in an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way, watch this, as not without aim, so it's with purpose, and a plan. I box in such a way as not beating the air, 
but I discipline my body and make it a slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself might not be disqualified. Number one, are you running to win? Number two, do you have a plan? People who are athletes, physical athletes, have a routine. They have a routine day in and day out, week in and week out. They just, whether they feel like it or not, whether they wake up one morning and they feel weak, they've got to go to it. The top flight athletes in our world have a routine that they stick with no matter how they feel. They get up and very persistently, very doggedly, they just keep going and going and going. And the same is true spiritually. That is how we grow. Do you have a routine? So for athletes, you, you have to eat, sleep, you have to do strength, and you have to do cardio. You have to do those. You can't just say, well, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lift weights, but I'm not going to sleep, and I'm going to drink milkshakes all the time, and I'm never going to run, and somehow magically everything's going to be okay. It doesn't work. There has to be a balance there, and there's a spiritual balance there too. As you read through the Bible, you'll, you'll get it. There are things that I, just over and over and over, the foundations, the building blocks of what it means to get in spiritual shape, to grow up spiritually. I'll give you five, the five primary ones. Pray. Pray. We just keep connecting with God. Every day, we just talk to God. I mean, it's great to have a a time of the day where you close everything off, but you know what? You include God every day in your life. Prayer is key importance. Bible study. You study the Bible, but you just don't study it. You actually apply it. So Paul talks about in, in, in Corinthians, he says, knowledge puffs up. In other words, that's bad. Knowledge puffs up. But love builds up. Okay? So you can't just know it. You've got you to apply it. Let me tell you, i say it this way. Uh, Rick Warren says it this way. Information without application leads to constipation. Maybe you'll remember that. Sometimes you look around at church people and you're like, what is wrong with that church person? They're constipated. That's the only problem there. They have a lot of information. They're just not applying Jesus would rather us know a little and apply a lot than know a lot and not apply at all. Make sense? Prayer, Bible study, church attendance, the book of Hebrews. The, those in, in the book of Hebrews that was being written to were very inconsistent with their church attendance. Some had just like totally stopped going at all. And you need that. And it says, no, you can't do that. You have to assemble together. We need to be together to learn and grow. That's the third one. Number four, serving. People who are exercising spiritual muscles, they just serve. That's what they do. They serve. Jesus, the greatest among you, will be the servant of all. And lastly, money. You might say, I know a lot of people. A lot of people that know a lot about the Bible. Like, ah, God doesn't care about my money. Right, you're right. He doesn't. But you do. (laughs) You do a lot. A lot. The love of money is root of all evil. It's an idol in our lives. I mean, that's obvious around us, right? And so there's a way to free ourselves of that. There's a way to run a triathlon of spiritual exercise, and it's called tithing. Try it. It's amazing. It'll build your muscles. Tithing is about trusting God. It doesn't have anything to do with your money. It's all about trusting God. And those five things over and over and over and over again are about growing spiritually. So how is your training going? Are you persistently and consistently training in these five areas because you need all of them in a balanced way? All right. So that's what I want you to know. That's what the passage wants us to know. What does the passage want us actually to do? So we all need to be consistent because we know the importance of determination and being consistent and sticking with something. I'll be referencing a book by Angela Duckworth, The Power of Grit. 
Maybe you've heard it. It's the New York Times bestseller. It's all about the importance of determination. It's not talent that gets you there. It's not talent that has, has the victory. It's people who are persistent and determined that eventually end up moving on in sports, in careers, and definitely according to Hebrews chapter 12, who run the race with perseverance, who grow spiritually and become the spiritual athletes that Christ is calling us to be persistent. So what's going to help us? So I'm thinking, in my own life, I'm not consistent all the time. I'm not persistent all the time. What do I need to help? Well, you turn right here to Hebrews chapter 12, and it tells us three really important things. First one is the cloud. You need the cloud. Isn't it interesting how everything comes back around, right? So these words were written two th- almost, almost 2,000 years ago now, the cloud. They were talking about the cloud then. We're talking about the cloud now. A little bit two different clouds. Who's in your cloud? What's in your cloud? What's up in your cloud? So the cloud here, the cloud is not a crowd. When I read this and I'm thinking sports, I immediately used to always think as I read this passage before, oh, okay, 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 I got it. There's a cloud. It's like people in the stands. And if I throw a good pass, they're cheering me. And if I throw a bad pass, they're booing me. That's not what the cloud is. The cloud is fellow runners, other spiritual athletes, who have run before. They're like the hidden figures in the cloud who inspire us. We see what they did, right? When you know somebody else and you're training, you're training, let's say you train for a triathlon. I'm sure all of you are training for a triathlon, right? You're training for a triathlon. Isn't it helpful to have other athletes who have already done it before and you can learn from them how they stuck with it when they felt like giving up, how they overcame? So, Hebrews 12 is on the heels of Hebrews 11. And it's nothing but one long chapter of spiritual athlete after spiritual athlete after spiritual athlete after spiritual athlete and how they face disappointment, discouragement, uh, all kinds of things, doubt, unanswered prayer, broken dreams. Let me give you three of them and how this can help us. Abraham and Sarah, they made a lot of bad decisions. It's interesting. He's called the father of the faithful. So he really flexed his spiritual muscles, but he made a lot of bad decisions. And they went for a long time with unanswered prayer, and it's extraordinarily difficult on them, and it discouraged them a lot. And then they made a really bad decision when it came to their marriage, and their marriage was beginning to fall apart for many years. Their marriage struggled very, very, very badly because of the poor decisions that they, that they made. But you know, the thing that you have to say about Abraham and Sarah is they just kept getting up off of the mat and going after it again and again and again and again, even though they just made terrible blunders, things that they regretted that they did. They just kept getting up and say, okay, God, we're going to come one more time. And sometimes they felt like it, and sometimes they didn't feel like it, but they just kept getting up. Here, I'll give you a statistic uh, for those of you, because, you know, in marriages, sometimes we go, through really, we go through really tough things, don't we? We go through tough spots. Here's the statistic. This statistic has been around for a long time, so it's tried and true. If you're in a tough spot in your marriage, statistically speaking, if you'll hang on for five years, it will get better. If you'll hang on for five years, statistically speaking, the vast majority of marriages will get better better. So if in your tough spot, there's hope, okay? They just kept going in their marriage. How about Moses? Moses made a really lousy career decision, a really lousy career decision. He was impatient. He lacked wisdom. He blew it. He set his career back. He had to go to the, we're told, the backside of the desert. That means he took a major, major, major demotion because he was ready to take over the whole world, right? And so he had a major demotion. And when God comes along to try to nudge him to get back in the race, what does Moses say? He says, now, can you find somebody else? 
I'm taking myself out of the spiritual race. Maybe that's you today. I mean, like, you know what? I've tried. I've prayed. I've tried. I've prayed. I've gone to church. I've read the Bible. I, I've asked. But nothing's happening. You know what? I, I'm, I'm thinking about throwing the towel in. That was Moses. But what you'd have to say about Moses, even though he was so reluctant and so hesitant, he eventually said yes. And he didn't know how it was going to turn out, but he said, you know, I'm still going to do it. I'm going to still be persistent. And he moved forward spiritually. And God did a great and mighty work in his life. That, that is Moses, even when he wanted to quit, right? Rahab. Rahab is in Hebrews chapter 11 as well. Rahab was a prostitute, right, in the, in the land of Canaan. And uh, talk about a sad life. Talk about a life of broken dreams. You know she didn't want to live that life. A life where she was crushed, disrespected, no hope, no answers. Where's God? Where's justice? Is anything ever going to turn out for me? I mean, when she was a little girl, she wasn't thinking about living this kind of life. But what other life could she live? And now, you know what's getting ready to happen to her? An army is getting ready to invade her country. And they're an army of people with really high morals because everybody has heard about them and the Ten Commandments, right? And no adultery and all this kind of stuff in there. And so what is this powerful, powerful army of high moral people getting ready to do to her, Rahab, running a house of prostitution? She is without hope. But what we're told is, even though all of that, she still persistently determined with grit, I'm going to keep trusting God to get me out of this mess. And how did that turn out? Would you believe that she literally married a prince? Prince of Israel. She married a prince. And they had a baby. And that baby had a baby and that baby had a baby. And three times over, she became the great, great, great grandmother to the famous King David. And if you're a sports fan, you don't need to know the Bible. You have all heard about David and Goliath because they talk about it on ESPN all the time. That's the David I'm talking about. She was his great, 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 great grandmother. And you know what? If you'll read Matthew chapter one, whose name will you find in the genealogy of Jesus the Christ? You'll find a woman who was very persistent doggedly persistent with all the odds stacked against her, Rahab, in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. It is an amazing and a beautiful, beautiful story. Who is in your cloud? Who are you looking to? The Bible is filled with story after story of other spiritual athletes. Make sure you dig into that, all right? That's the cloud. Here's the clothes. Throw off everything, all right? Throw off everything that hinders, right? When you go to work out at the gym, you don't show up in a suit, do you? A suit and tie. You don't walk in with a briefcase and, briefcase and heels. You don't come in with your laptop and your phone. The gym we go to, they get really ticked at people quite often because people try to sneak their phones in there like, what are you doing? That's not a workout, right? You leave things behind. You get rid of stuff that could entangle you. Are you willing to do that with your life? Are you willing to do that with things that entangle you from growing spiritually? This is what the passage is about. Are you willing to leave a habit or a relationship behind in order to accomplish what God wants to do in your life? See, so training, physical training is hard. It's hard work. The gym Kristen and I go to, you, you can't just walk in and do whatever you want to do. Everything's a class. It's class. You always have a coach right? And what's interesting sometimes, they have all these treadmills lined up side by side. The coach will get a little bit ticked off at people sometimes because some people will be on a treadmill next to each other and they're having full-blown conversations. And the coach is like, 
hey, for your information, they're on a microphone, hey, for your information, if you're having a full conversation, uh, I don't know what you're doing, but you're not exercising. You're not exercising. Because if you're exercising right now, you shouldn't be able to talk. Like, you should be running so hard, because they'll have us in these full-blown sprint modes or whatever. You shouldn't be able to talk. Have you ever been there spiritually? You ever been to a place spiritually where you're working out so hard spiritually you haven't been able to talk? Or do you, are you just always have an opinion about God and life? Have you ever worked out so hard that you don't have anything to say? You ever gotten there before? Like you're working so hard. Oh, man, I don't, what do you think about I don't know. I'll pray for you. I don't know. You know, you're just chugging along. When I'm weak, then I am strong. How hard are you working out and are you willing to leave everything behind in order to grow your spiritual muscles? Will Smith. You all know who Will Smith is? Will Smith? Okay. Will Smith. He's a producer. He's an actor. He's a rapper. He's done all kinds of stuff. Newsweek in 2007 said that Will Smith is the most powerful actor in all of Hollywood. He's been nominated for five Golden Globes, two Academy Awards, and he's won four Grammys. This is what Will Smith has to say about himself. I've never viewed myself as, a particular, as particularly talented. Where I excel is a ridiculously sickening work ethic. The only thing that I can see that is distinctly different about me is that I'm not afraid to die on a treadmill. I, I will not be outworked, period. You might have more talent than me, but if we get on a treadmill together, there are two things that are going to happen. You're going to get off first or I'm going to die. It's really that simple. Are you as determined spiritually as Will Smith is determined professionally? Because it'll make a difference in your life and in your family's life and in your neighbor's life. And according to history, make a difference in our whole country, maybe the entire planet. Are you as determined spiritually as Will Smith is determined professionally? The cloud, the clothes, and the final thing that's going to help us be persistent, be dogged, and have grit is the Christ. Jesus the Christ. Fix your eyes on Jesus the Christ. Fix your eyes. When's the last time you saw somebody win a race, a marathon, a sprint, whatever, and they were looking to the side? Right? They, were just, they were just flying. They were just looking to the side. When's the last time you saw that happen? Never. Because we fix our eyes on the direction that we're headed. When I'm at the gym and on the treadmill, you know, the coach, he's barking over that microphone. He's like, get your eyes up, straight ahead, right? That's what you do. That's where you're headed. Same deal here. Who are you looking at? Where are your eyes fixed? So this says that our eyes should be fixed on Jesus Christ. Now, here's the interesting thing. You know who Jesus is looking at? He's looking at you. And the question is, are you looking back at him? Are you looking back at Jesus? This is what it says in the passage in Hebrews 12. It says, for the joy set before him. What joy? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. So the cross, right, the cross of Jesus Christ, which as a little boy, he grew up in a country where thousands, tens of thousands of his countrymen would, would, would be 
crucified on crosses. They crucified people up and down major roadways so everybody could see, don't mess with the Roman army because we know how to kill you and we know how to kill you in the worst possible way. You'd hang there for days and birds would come along as you're hanging there trying to die and you're slowly dying because water would fill up in your lungs and you basically would, would die a slow death of drowning. That's how you would die, okay? And birds would come along and they'd pick out your eyeballs one at a time. It's terrible, terrible. Why in the world would Jesus Christ, after growing up, seeing people die like that over and over, why would he do that? And why would the scripture say for the joy? There's no joy there. There's no joy there. Why for the joy set before him? What was that joy? Think with me, everybody. What was the only thing that Jesus Christ didn't have in heaven? I mean, he's got the beauty of heaven. He's there with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He's got everything. It's perfect. There's only one thing he doesn't have, and what is that? You. You. For the joy set before him, you are that joy. He's looking at you. He's looking at you, willing to go through all of this. The shame of the cross, the cruelty of the cross, the pain of the cross, so he can connect with you. So your relationship with him can be reestablished again. And so we're to look to Jesus, the Christ, the author and the perfecter, the finisher of our faith. Fix your eyes. Fix your eyes on him. Well, let me end this way. Do you know who gets through cadet training at West Point? They call it the beast. At West Point, cadets come in there. And man, you've got to be, I mean, just to, just to get accepted, you've got to be the cream of the crop, everybody. But do you know they did some extensive studies on who actually makes it through the beast? And it wasn't attached to SAT scores or leadership experience or your cadet score coming in. There was one main predictor, determining factor about whether or not you made it through the beast at West Point, and that is, did you have grit? Were you a determined person? Would you not give up? Would you just keep going? When the car broke down on the way to NAS and the cop pulls you over and you can't get into the room which you need to get in or you can't go to the bathroom and everybody's disrespecting you or when you feel like not praying or you feel like not going to church or you feel like not reading or applying the Bible, you just keep going. You know who gets through West Point? People who have grit. People who just say, you know what, whether I feel like it or not, I'm just going to keep going and going and going. When a cadet shows up at West Point for the beginning of Beast, an upperclassman comes to him, you have 90 seconds exactly to say goodbye to your family and friends. 90 seconds, and they're out. And then an upperclassman tells you how to eat, how to sleep, how to shower, and how to stand. And you fix your eyes on that upperclassman because he's going to tell you what to do, and you're going to listen. They tell you how to stand. He says, look, I want you to stand on my line. Don't stand in front of my line. Don't stand behind my line. Stand on my line. Do you know how to stand? I'm going to teach you how to stand. That's how you get through West Point. That's who makes it through. People who will fix their eyes on that upperclassman and with grit and determination, I don't care how I feel. I am going to struggle through this. Let us run the race marked out for us with perseverance. Will you persevere? This passage is calling for spiritual athletes who will keep training day in and day out, who keep going to that spiritual gymnasium day in and day out 
to grow, to grow. If you're here this morning and you're like, you know what? I stopped running the race. Well, I want to encourage you. Jump back in. There's a lot of people in the Bible who stopped running. Jump back in with renewed determination. Last story, okay? Scientists at Berkeley, they wanted to do a study on amoebas. Amoebas. And they wanted to find out if they put an amoeba in a perfect, in a perfect environment, what would happen? Perfect temperature, perfect amount of light, perfect humidity, everything perfect, remove all the challenges. What would happen to amoebas if everything was perfect? You know what happened to them? They died. They died. This race sometimes is agonizing and grueling, but you will grow spiritually if you will stick with it and you will win the prize, that upward calling in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord, for this word from Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, God, it is so practical and it is so powerful. We thank you, Lord, for your word. God, all over uh, this room here this morning and watching online and over at West Falls Church, God, there are those of us that right now we're running, we're running hard, and there are those of us who are like we've slowed down to a, to a stroll. And there are others of us who are like, well, I, I'm thrown in the towel. Lord, I just ask that you would help us between the cloud and the clothes and then, of course, you, Jesus Christ, that with renewed zeal you would pour into our hearts this morning, you would show us the importance of determination of running this race. For your honor and your glory, Jesus Christ, may we fix our eyes on you. Thank you, Lord. In your holy name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.